The main branch of the post office is a distribution hub for our area. Messages and packages addressed to people who live in our city come here first and are then sorted out to their assigned mail carriers for delivery, wherever the sender intended. Those mail carriers receive a unique authority to access all the individual mailboxes by virtue of their assignment. In Matthew chapter 10, we see Jesus expanding his ministry by dispatching some mail carriers, so to speak, and giving them assignments to go out with his message and his authority. We read, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every sickness. Matthew then lists off the 12 apostles, which just means sent ones, and he gives them their first assignment. Do not go on a road to the Gentiles and do not enter a city of Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then he tells them their task. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, clean those with leprosy, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. In case you forgot, that's pretty much exactly what Jesus has been doing in the previous two chapters. You'll also remember that not everyone liked Jesus, and he says the same will be true for them. They will hand you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be hated by all because of my name. The responsibility Jesus puts on them is great, and the one who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The one who has found his life will lose it. But the rewards are also great. The one who has lost his life on my account will find it. The one who receives you receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. Whoever gives one of these little ones just a cup of cold water to drink in the name of a disciple, truly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. It's a long, hard shift for these apostles, these messengers dispatched by Jesus. But at the end of chapter 11, Matthew records this promise. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. It seems like this kingdom business, with all of its risks and all its rewards, is not just for Jesus. He chooses people to come alongside him, and he sends them out to do the same works that he did. It's not an easy job, but they get to bring the news of life and peace to the city, and at the end of the day, Nothing else compares to the rest that is found with Jesus. Amen. I appreciate Sarah doing that video for us and Will putting those together. Appreciate the opportunity to come and share uh, a word with you this, this morning. And I just uh, I want to echo the celebration of life of uh, Miss Rolina, who served on staff here for so many years. I was telling the previous service, uh, Miss Rolina was actually one of the first people to actually speak uh, that she saw a call to pastoral ministry in my life. And that came as a surprise to me at that time, not only because I wasn't necessarily seeing that in myself, but also because at that time I didn't really think Miss Rolina liked me very much. Uh, but I learned over time how she expressed her love and was so appreciative as I went through my journey through seminary, looking back on how she spoke in what she saw of God's call in my life. And I hope you're having people that are speaking that way into your life. 
You know, each week as we go through this series on Thy Kingdom Come, we've been reminding ourselves that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than just our personal lives or even just a single individual church through praying for another local ministry. And so this week, we want to be praying for the Salvation Army uh, Church here in Montgomery. Lieutenant Brian and Tanya Farrington are the pastors there. And actually, just this Friday, uh, Brian and Tanya invited me to a meeting uh, to talk with them, and they came and wanted to share about their vision for how the Salvation Army could actually support other local churches in our area and be praying for one another. So I just love how God was at work there from both ends, just knitting our churches together and creating a spirit of unity in this community in Jesus' name. So would you join me now in praying for the Salvation Army and praying for God's presence here with us today? Heavenly Father, we just Thank you for your greatness and for your kingdom that is over all. And we declare your praise for what you have done through the Salvation Army and for what you will do. We ask your blessing on their ministry, on their uh, shelter for those that are uh, the least and the last and the lost and for their church and its ministry there. We pray for your wisdom on Brian and Tanya as they seek to follow you and seek to know your path and pray that you would bless them in every way, them and their family, and just know, let them know that they're being prayed for even today. And so, Lord Jesus, we would just come to you now and ask you to teach us, teach all your people through your word today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come into this place and speak to us what you would want our hearts to know, because we come ready to learn from you and to respond to whatever you would show us with obedience and surrender. For we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, I want to talk to you today about spiritual authority. And I think this is an important topic for us to consider at this time. And, and I'm so thankful for um, the, the vision of our senior pastor. Uh, pastor Chris has been sharing with us since this fall. He started talking to us about becoming a church that would fulfill the Great Commission by following the Great Commandment. That we would actually multiply disciples of Jesus Christ by learning how to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself and how these two things go hand in hand. And as we consider that vision and how we can walk into the Great Commission, this chapter in Matthew is actually, I think, very important for us to study because Matthew has set up his gospel in such a way that chapter 10 is actually a preview of what's gonna come in chapter 28 with the Great Commission. See, just as in the Great Commission, Jesus is going to tell his disciples, I'm sending you out to all the nations to share my message. In chapter 10, he's actually telling them, I'm sending you to all the towns of Israel to share my message. And so, Jesus, if we want to learn how exactly we're going to go about fulfilling that Great Commission, we can look back at chapter 10 and say, well, how did Jesus actually go about teaching them to follow this, what I call the mini-commission, the, the commission just to the nation of Israel on a smaller scale, so that we can then take that and expand it out and see how God is working in the same way uh, to reach all the nations in the world, um, including ours. And so, we need to look closely at these passages, and what we see when we look at them is actually both of these passages begin with a statement of spiritual authority. If you remember the Great Commission, what does Jesus say to these disciples first on that mountain? He comes to them after he's been resurrected and he says, all what? Authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples. And in this chapter, chapter 10, it says Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. So we need to understand what is this authority that he's giving as he sends them out on this mission. Now, in order to kind of 
start our thinking about this, I'd like to give a hypothetical situation to you. Just imagine for a minute two different uh, basketball teams. Now, I, I realize that this is Super Bowl Sunday and maybe you've got football in your mind, but my analogy works better with basketball, so just roll with me, okay? So imagine you've got a junior high team and uh, they're losing all their games because they're missing their shots. They're just, they can't make their shots so they don't make any points so they lose their games. And you've got two different coaches and one coach comes up with a strategy and his strategy is he's gonna have this huge event and he brings in actually the Harlem Globetrotters. You know, who, guys know who the Harlem Globetrotters are? They're like these amazing professional athletes at the top of their game that can do these incredible uh, trick shots and fancy footwork and spinning the ball in all these ways and just it looks like impossible what they pull off. And so he brings in the Harlem Globetrotters and the team sits and watches them and they just see this amazing display of what seems like impossible talent and ability. And then at the end of the day, the Harlem Globetrotters get on their plane and they fly back home and the kids go back home um, um, to their house. The other coach has a very different strategy. The other coach simply goes down to the local high school, gets some boys just a little bit older than the players he's got. And he finds the players there that are the most committed to practicing their shots and the most passionate about winning the game of basketball and he asked them to come down to his practice and he simply has them model for his team how to make some basic free throws and shoot some basic layups and he has them do it over and over and then these older boys turn to the younger team and they say all right now it's your turn you've seen how we made the shots now you make the shots my question to you today is which coach's strategy do you think it's going to be more successful in improving the team, the team that sat and watched an amazing display of seemingly impossible actions, or the team that had someone model for them something that they could do and then said, hey, it's your turn, now you do it. What do you think? Which one? Okay, I got a lot of votes for number two. So let's look at this, because I think this framework in our minds, it's easy enough to understand in that context, but sometimes when we come to the story of Jesus, see, we know that the Gospels tell us that Jesus is like no other person. We know that the Gospels tell us that Jesus is the Son of God, right? That he is the eternal word incarnate, that he can do things that other people can't do. And so sometimes we think, because that's in our mind, we come to these stories of the miracles that Jesus does, and we assume that that's the story they're trying to tell us, that look at Jesus. He can do these amazing things that seem impossible that no one else could do, so that must prove that he's God. And we think that's the story that Matthew is trying to tell us. But let's correlate what Jesus is actually doing in the first few chapters of Matthew with what he's talking to his disciples about doing in chapter 10. So if you go back into chapter four, we hear that Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in chapter 10, he tells his disciples to go out and pre preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In chapter four, verse 23, and all through chapter eight and nine, Jesus heals the sick. In chapter 10, he tells his disciples, go heal the sick. In chapter eight, verses one through three, we hear a story about how Jesus cleansed the leper. In chapter 10, Jesus says, I want you to cleanse the lepers. In chapter nine, verses 23 through 26, Jesus raised someone from the dead. And in chapter 10, he tells his disciples, I want you to raise the dead. In chapter eight, verses 28 through 34, Jesus drives out demons. And in chapter 10, he tells them, I'm giving you authority, I want you to drive out demons. Are you starting to see a pattern here? See, there's a correlation between Jesus is, doesn't seem to be just showing them some amazing thing that only he can do. Everything that Matthew has told us that Jesus did, 
He now records that Jesus is telling those who follow him, I want you to go and do these same things. Now, I just want to stop right there and acknowledge the reality of this. Because I think all of us can hear that and be like, well, that sounds good, but I don't actually see that in my life. And, and I, I know, like, my wife and I, we've seen God do amazing things in our life, but I can't say that at this point in my life it looks like the miracles of Jesus every time I turn around. I couldn't stand here. I'd be a hypocrite if I stood here and told you I see that kind of spiritual authority in my life. But here's the thing. I, my commitment to you is I, I want to preach what God's word says. And I don't want to take my experience and fit God's word to shape into my experience. Instead, if my experience doesn't line up with God's word, I want to figure out how do I take my experience and shape it to what God says, amen? So the way I understand this, the way it seems to me clear interpretation here is Jesus is telling them the things I'm doing, in fact, he says this in John's gospel, the things you see me doing, you will do, and you will do greater things, and I believe he meant it. And so when I don't see that in my own life, here's what I'm praying for. God, I want to understand more. What does your spiritual authority look like? And how can I get more of it in my life? So I just want to invite you today to be open to praying that prayer with me. What does your spiritual authority, God, look like? And how can I get more of it in my life? And so toward that end, I want to share with you three things that, from this passage, three things that spiritual authority is not, and then one thing that I believe that spiritual authority is. So three things that it's not. First of all, a spiritual authority is not political power. I know we've had a lot of narrative on, among the church over the past few years that people kind of buy into. This is we're losing our influence in the culture and therefore we're anxious that things are happening in our nation that we're not comfortable with and, and there's a fear that we will experience some form of persecution. Now listen, I believe in praying for our nation. I believe in, in seeking the righteousness of God in our nation, but when that becomes a mindset of fear and anxiety, we're not living by the gospel. Jesus says, do you understand that the worst thing they can do to you is kill the body? And you profess to believe in the one who raises bodies from the dead. So if you are fearing persecution, you're actually undercutting your witness to the gospel power of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, don't you know that God cares for even the sparrows that fall to the ground? How much more does he care for you? It's a question of if we, if we allow the political climate to cause us anxiety, then we are denying the fact that we believe that our heavenly father actually cares for us and is watching over us all the time, amen? And so spiritual authority is not political power. In fact, Jesus, as we heard in the scripture that was read, Jesus assumed that his followers would not have political power. He immediately said, not that persecution was an option, he said, you will be arrested, you will be persecuted, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, right? That's what we read. So he was clearly not expecting, even though he had just told them, I'm giving you spiritual authority over every form of evil, he was not expecting them to be in a position of political power. But what he told them was, don't even be anxious for what you will say when you're arrested, because the Holy Spirit will be with you and will speak through you, and you will actually become a witness for me in that moment. And so we, we can uh, understand that it's not political power, but it's the Holy Spirit power that is going to empower us to be his witnesses even in moments like that. The second thing that spiritual authority is not, it's not guaranteed popularity. 
You know, I read uh, when I was a teenager, my dad gave me a book to read, and it was uh, Dale Carnegie's famous book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And there's some really good advice in that book about how to win friends and influence people, as the title says. Uh, But that's not what spiritual authority is about. You see, Jesus, I mean, Paul told us, I want to do all things for all people so that by all means I might win some. And that's what we should do. We should be willing to sacrifice our personal preferences and privileges in order to reach other people, to somehow win them to Christ. But we should not be under the illusion that somehow if we do it just right, that everybody's gonna love us. Because Jesus said right here, everyone's gonna hate you. He said, you're not even always gonna reach all of your own family. He talks about brother betraying brother, about parents betraying their parents, uh, children betraying their parents to the authorities or, or vice versa. He says, uh, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword in the sense that it's going to divide families. And we see that even today in uh, those who are coming to Christ in Muslim nations. Their families will often turn against them. Jesus does not guarantee popularity. See, I think that sometimes through the best of intentions, We've given our young people a a false view of Christianity. We've said things like, uh, if you will follow Jesus, you will have a happy marriage, and you will have a strong family, and a great career, and really good friendships. Now listen to me, I believe that there is no greater foundation to build your human relationships on than the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. There's no better way to have success in marriage and family and career and so forth than to build your life on Jesus, but listen, You need to remember that even if your husband or wife leaves you and your children reject you and your boss fires you and your friends abandon you, it is still worth it to follow Jesus, amen? No one else can love you like Jesus can. And I remember singing a song as a kid that I pray would become a song of this generation that we would sing, I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back. And I love this second verse that came in. It said, though none go with me, still I will follow. If we have spiritual authority, it's not about guaranteed popularity. It's about a mindset that says, though none go with me, still I will follow him. So it's not political power. It's not guaranteed popularity. It's also not personal prosperity. Uh, Do you remember those Staples commercials with the easy button? You know, they had this big red button that said easy on it, and every time they had a problem, they pushed the button, and whatever they needed would appear, right? That's not what spiritual authority is. Jesus, in fact, says, hey, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. If you don't lose your, if you try to hang on to your life, you're gonna lose it. Only those who lose their life for my sake will find it. He does not guarantee personal prosperity. He doesn't guarantee that we won't go through suffering or difficult times. In fact, in the very next chapter, chapter 11, John the Baptist, the one who had initially introduced Jesus to others and said, here's the one who's coming, uh, finds himself in prison. And God doesn't seem to be maybe answering his prayers. He's in prison for his faith and he sends some people to Jesus and then he says, hey, I'm just checking here. Are you the one that was to come or should we be expecting somebody else? And Jesus responds back to him and he says, go and tell John. Look around, this is the, here's what's happening. Here's what we see in here. The blind are being healed, the dead are being raised, the lepers are being cleansed, all these miracles that Jesus has been doing, these are going on, and so John, don't stumble because of me. Even though you haven't received maybe the miracle that you were seeking, don't stop believing that this is the kingdom of God that's being released here. And so spiritual authority does not always mean personal prosperity. What does it mean then? 
I think if we wanna understand what it actually means, we need to go back to the miracles of Jesus. What is this spiritual authority that he's modeled for us and now he's saying, hey, now it's your turn. You do what I did. See, when we look at the miracles of Jesus, you know, when I was a kid, again, I often heard this narrative that, well, Jesus did miracles to prove that he was God. And as a kid, I would think, well, okay, if Jesus was trying to prove that he was God, why didn't he act like, like a superhero, right? I mean, like, there's some things that I can think of that Jesus could have done, right? You know, why didn't he fly? You know, why didn't he, like, lift some giant boulders or leap over tall buildings in a single bound or, like, wave his hand and see, you know, a moon come crashing down or something? Like, why, uh, if Jesus was just trying to prove how great he was, why did he just heal people? If you think about it for a minute, virtually every miracle that Jesus does is for the purpose of taking a broken, hurting human being and restoring them to what God actually created them to be to start with. God created us with sight and hearing and the ability to walk and he restores people back to that. It seems as if maybe what Jesus is doing is less about just displaying all the power of God and more about displaying the heart of God. See, a miracle, I believe, is just a moment in which God does whatever it takes for his heart to come through to a person in need. And so what I would say to you this today as a definition of spiritual authority based on the practice of Jesus, you know, if we look at the first miracle uh, that Jesus did in Matthew that's described for us, he heals a leper, right? That leper comes to Jesus and he's got this disfiguring condition that is taking away from what God created him to be. It's taking away from his ability to connect with other human beings. It's taking away from his ability to connect and worship with God. And that leper comes to Jesus and says to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says to him, I am willing. And he touches him and he makes him clean. See, in that moment, that leper did not need to know if Jesus could heal him he needed to know that he would heal him. It was a moment about connecting for him with the heart of God, to know that God had always loved him and always intended for him to be made whole and perfect and clean in his sight. And so I believe that the definition of spiritual authority is when the heart of a man or woman so connects with the heart of God for a broken and hurting world together with a faith that believes that God actually intends to bring about his kingdom on earth through me. When we bring those two things together, God's love for this broken and hurting world and a faith that he actually intends to work through me, then we become a channel for his power to do whatever is needed in that moment in order to convey to that person the love of God. That is spiritual authority. And if we function with that understanding and that definition of spiritual authority, then we no longer have to make these divisions between supernatural miracles and human good works. Because listen, I can pray for an addict to be supernaturally set free from the chains of addiction, and at the same time, I can work to build recovery centers and ministries for that person out of the same love of God for that human being, right? I can speak against the spirit of racism in this city with my mouth and at the same time I can work with my hands to build a more equitable education system in this city out of the same love of God for all of his children. 
I can pray for someone to be healed miraculously of disease and at the same time support research into cures and, and having an affordable healthcare system so that people can have access to it. I can speak with my mouth, pray with my mouth, and also work with my body. It's all the same because it's all coming not from just the power of God, but from the heart of God that works through me. Does that make sense? And so I want to just share with you today, I said, you know, I have not seen always the, the, the spiritual authority on my own life that I would like to see in the degree that I would like to see it. But I have seen it in others. I want to tell you briefly about uh, someone I'll call Miss Martha. I'm not going to give her actual name because I know she doesn't want attention on herself. But Miss Martha is the grandmother of one of my son's good friends. And so that's how I came to know her. But I, uh, she uh, was active in her church. She taught Sunday schools and Bible studies for years. And, uh, but she just began to sense that God wanted to do something more in her life. And so after a season of prayer and fasting, she began to actually just go out on the streets in places in Montgomery where, frankly, many people are afraid to go. And she would just come up and, and begin to pray for people who were in need. And I began to hear stories about this group of people that were going out with her of how God was like healing blind people and how like drug dealers would pull guns on them but then turn around and end up weeping and asking to receive Christ. And I'm hearing these stories of spiritual power and through a series of events I ended up kind of going out and starting to hang out with them once a week. And I was just kind of following along because I was like, these people have the spiritual power and, and I'm just kind of watching what they're doing. But one day, we were praying for a woman in her yard, and uh, across the street, a man began to walk over towards us, and he had some long dreads, and he had his shirt off, and he had, like, all these ripped muscles, and he had, like, scars on his body that kind of seemed like he'd had a rough life, and I was feeling a little bit nervous, but Miss Martha says, hey, it's your turn. You pray for this one. I was a little bit tentative about that, but I didn't want to disappoint Miss Martha, so I went over and I introduced myself and I said, hey, you know, can I pray for you? And he began to tell me about some pain that he was experiencing, and I began to pray for him. And something, I want to tell you, something began to change in me where as I was praying for him, I didn't see those scars anymore as something that felt threatening to me. I began to sense and to feel the pain that he had experienced and come in tune with God's love for him and the pain that he had experienced in his life. And then Miss Martha came alongside and she began to pray for him as well. And I, I was watching her face and I just saw in that moment that this, this man who was like towering over her, she was looking at him with tears in her eyes with the same love for him that I seen her look at her own grandchild. And that's when I realized that the spiritual authority that was on Miss Martha's life was not from some special secret spiritual knowledge or special gifting, it was because she had a heart that was in tune with God's love for that man, for whoever was hurting and broken around her. Her heart was so in tune with heaven that she became a channel for whatever God needed to do in that person's life at that moment for them to experience the love of God. So Pastor Chris is gonna come in a moment and lead us in communion. And I'm just praying for you today you join me in praying, God, would you help me to understand and receive the spiritual authority that you have put on my life? Because you're telling me now it's your turn. I want you to go and be my channel of love. Step into the spiritual authority that he's put upon you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your power over everything. 
Lord Jesus, we declare your name is stronger than anything in this world. We receive now, Holy Spirit, the spiritual authority you've put on us to continue to do your works, your miracle works, and your good works of grace and love and mercy to every person that you would put into our path and wherever you would send us, for we pray this together in Jesus' name. All God's people said.